The time for talking is over. The match clock showing four hours and 12 minutes. David Alonso in. Gonna have a short for him inside in. Murray, they are running for it. He got it. What's the smash like? It's good. It's good from corner. It's a best. And ace out wide. And Arena Sabalenka collapses on Rob Labour Arena. And it is tanned at the absolute best for Novak Djokovic. Hi everyone and welcome to the AO Show with me, John Huvenaz. A tennis charcuterie of sorts with a little something for everyone during the first week of Roland Garros, but the main course is yet to be served. Here's what's coming up. Alcaraz and Djokovic on track for a fairy tale men's semi-final. He's won a slam, but he's still collating all of this experience, and that's what Novak is bringing to the tournament. Can Igish Fiontek defend her title, or will Arina Sabalenka ascend to world number one? If you can get in good position like a, a Sabalenka does so well now, she's looking in really good form. And Thanasi Kokinakis produces another five-set thriller for the ages. Yeah, I've got to stop doing that. It's taken its taken its toll on me mentally and physically. That's all ahead on the AO show. From a big week one in Paris, here are the headlines. Novak Djokovic fends off Martin Fucevic to remain on track for a semi-final showdown with Carlos Alcaraz. Defending champ Igish Fiontek maintains her grip on the number one ranking as a last four date with Elena Rabikina beckons. Rome winner Daniel Medvedev and 2021 women's champ Barbora Krachikova crash out in the first round. French favourite Caroline Garcia toppled by Anna Blinkova on a brutal day for the home nation. And Thanasi Kokinakis threw to the third round in Australian men's best start to a Roland Garros since 2000. Todd Woodbridge and Casey Delacqua to join me shortly on the roundtable. But before that, let's jump across to Paris, where we find reporter Duncan mackenzie McCarg. He's with four-time Grand Slam champion Kim Clijsters. Are you enjoying Roland Garros 2023? I am. I'm still a little jet-lagged. Just flew in from uh, New York a couple a day and a half ago. But um, it's been beautiful so far. The weather's been great. It's been perfect tennis conditions. And... Um, yeah, good tennis, some upsets, which is always fun in the beginning of the tournament. So, but it's been, um, yeah, it's been really good so far. Let's start with the big story today. Obviously, fifth seed, big French hope, Caroline Garcia. She was playing on court, Philippe Chartrier. They're so noisy, so raucous, crazy atmosphere in there. And uh, she ended up losing in three sets. She's out of the tournament. She is. And I think, um, you know, I saw her afterwards, um, just a disappointment on her face and, and her teams. And I think there was so much expectation, right. the build up to, you know, to the French Open. She's had some great results in the last few years. But for her, um, for, for any French player, um, you know, playing a home Grand Slam, there's always that extra pressure and extra attention and um you know, sometimes the, the pressure can be a little bit overwhelming. And there were moments in that third set today where, you know, you could kind of sense that her arm was getting really heavy and, and wasn't as accurate. And whether it is the, 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 the pressure or whatever it was, but just wasn't good enough today. Yeah, and Blinkova needed nine match points to get mm. the job done. You've got a feel for these players playing the French players on court, Philippe Chartier. We saw it last night with Sebastian right. Baez playing Gael Monfils. The crowd effectively just willed Monfils over the line. Right. And, uh, but they couldn't will Garcia over the line here. 
here this afternoon. No, they couldn't. But I think um, I think Garcia had enough chances as well. I think she had 18 break points, only converted four of them. So there's definitely you know the big moment she missed. Uh, she missed out on on today. And uh, and Blinkova, you know, you only you have to win the last one. And even yeah. if it takes eight or nine, um, you know, it's a, it's a great effort from her to be able to to get through at the end and to do it with the whole crowd um, against you. And um, but yeah, we'll see how she does in the, in the third round. In the third round, because that's a, a lot of times you see, you know, that maybe a little bit of a letdown. So we'll see how she's going to be able to um, to uh, stay focused in, in the next round. It's such an exciting time in the women's game at the moment because we've got the emergence of the new big three: Iga Swiatek, Alina Rybakina, and Arena Sabalenka, who played today and looked pretty impressive. Very impressive. I mean, she's been she's been playing with a lot of confidence, and maybe not in the smaller tournaments, but when you see her at the Grand Slams now, and just to see her, you know, after that win in Australia, just to see the way that she carries herself, and there is, um, yeah, you know, there's always a little bit of a chip on your shoulder when you when you are a Grand Slam contender, but you haven't won one, and then when when it finally happens. You're, you want to get to number two, and yeah. and so you see that there's that extra drive, motivation, focus, um, and it's it's great to see to see some of those players. You know, they all have those three players all have different types of games, mm. um, and it's really exciting to see um, who can um, make the best you know, of their game here on the, on the clay courts. And very quickly, she's flying under the radar. She's probably the most low-key profile three-seed we've ever had in the history right, of a Grand right, Slam. Right. Jess Pagula, she's fantastic. She's just got such lovely energy, right. but she just breezed through. She almost got a free pass today because Camilla Georgie retired. Yep, she did. She's, um, Jesse Pagula is awesome. She's a very, very, really good person as well. Yeah. Um, off the court, very kind, very respectful. Um, yeah, so she's always somebody that I cheer for um, and, and have, you know, good contact with outside of tennis as well. And, um, yeah, it's great for someone like her, you know, with her history, her family, you know, being in a in a situation where she doesn't really have to play tennis, right, but yeah. loves the sport, loves, yeah. you know, has a great team around her as well and people who are passionate about the sport and, and a great story. And, um, yeah, great to see her doing so well as well. Now for a deeper dive into the stories of week one, I'm joined on the roundtable by Casey Delacqua and Todd Woodbridge. And Todd, back on the graveyard shift, how's it all going? Yes, working Roland Garros with Melbourne hours is uh, is, is quite challenging. But when you get a, an Aussie win like we did last night for Thanasi Kokonakis, it's worth going to bed at half past three, four o'clock in the morning. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun, though, to be, you know, watching – watching the tennis, seeing so many great matches uh, and the atmosphere that uh, is at Roland Garros this year is quite unique. So it's great. We're loving it. Well, it's been a thrilling first week of competition so far. Plenty of great matches to talk about and ones to come. Uh, most notably, that Djokovic-Alcaraz prospective semi-final showdown. There's a lot of water to go under the bridge between now and then. Djokovic has defeated Alexander Kovacevic in the first round, then had to fight through a first set tiebreak against Martin Fuchevic before also prevailing in three case. His next opponent is Alejandro Davidovic Fakina, and beyond that, possible matchups with Hubi Hercatch in the fourth round, and then maybe one of the Russians, Hachinov or Rublev, in the quarterfinal. And Alcaraz, too, has his fair share of tough battles. How are you seeing Djokovic's form thus far in the tournament? Well, yeah, we, we are really um, only three matches away, aren't we, for the match that we have all been anticipating to see, Djokovic versus Alcaraz. So I feel like every match is a, is a step closer to, I guess, getting a look into that match. But as you said, it's so cliche, but it's one match at a time, isn't it? And for Novak, it'll be interesting to see what you think too, Todd. But for me, you know, Novak's form has been 
great. I think he's playing well, but he definitely has had times through the match matches and particularly in the last um, round where you could see a little bit, I guess, angst and a little bit of frustration at different times. Um, so I feel like the best is still yet to come for Novak and, and same for Alcaraz. He obviously lost a set against um, Taro Daniel yesterday as well. So, look, I think they've both got work to do, but it sounds like conditions over in Roland Garros are um, suiting kind of players that are able to get a lot of power behind the ball, like an Alcaraz, that can really step up and inside the court. So, look, that mouth-watering matchup is on track, but I think for both of them, for different reasons, um, still a little bit of work to do. Yeah, I'm finding case um, with Novak an interesting. You look at his scores, three, two and six, two, love and – sorry, six, love and three. He's actually getting aggravated for no particular reason, I think. And sometimes with him, over the – you know, the last five years, it looks like he actually needs to do that to himself to keep himself focused within matches because at times it can be a little too cruisy and he might be about to lose his concentration and that's the way he pulls himself back into being completely driven and focused. And that's what's interesting about five-set tennis for men because if you aren't like that, it is easy to come off your level and all of a sudden find yourself down a break and lose a set, a little bit like Alcaraz did yesterday. And that's one of the things that he's still got to learn over playing five sets and grand slam tennis. Yes, he's won a slam, but he's still collating all of this experience and that's what Novak is is bringing to the tournament. But I do like your point about having the penetration on the ball because that's one of the things this this year in particular it's been 25 degrees on average every afternoon and very windy and if you haven't got good footwork and good ball striking and control with the power you're really um, having trouble to keep the ball in and and we saw it a little bit yesterday for Kokonakis and um, uh, the Vavrinka match Vavrinka at times lacked the footwork had to look for different balls. And, and that's one of the key things so far in the tournament. And, of course, who's who's the best at that? I think Novak is because his adjustments are as good as any player in the tour. So I think he's looking good. I think the aggravation is just a, a, his way of, of dealing with concentration levels. So at the time of recording, uh, both have completed their second-round matches and uh, Alcaraz next has Shapovalov. So we'll be keeping an eye on that, possibly Cam Norrie and then Tsitsipas in the quarterfinal. Well, the other aspect of this tournament we're keeping an eye on is Iga Sviontek. Uh, she's the defending champ, Casey. She's currently maintaining that grip on the number one ranking. But if she loses, uh, Sabalenka is there lurking to go ahead as as uh, world number one. But Sviontek has continued her record of bagels against lesser-ranked players already this tournament. Yeah, I mean, I guess a first-round match that we would expect from a player like Iga Sviontek. Um, obviously, Sabalenka's got through two matches at this t- at the time of recording and has looked in some in some good form as well. Um, as, a, as we mentioned, even in the men's game, big ball striking. Um, if you can get in good position like a, a Sabalenka does so well now these days, she's looking um, in really good form. But for Sviontek, um, you know, tough tough half of the draw, but it's hard to look too far ahead. But um, again, on that side of the draw, wouldn't a Sviontek-Rabakina semifinal be mouthwatering as well? Um, had some other good matches in the women's draw. The, the standout match for me so far was Bianca Andreescu versus Victoria Azarenka. That was just a, a great match and just so great to see um, some fire in the belly from Andreescu. 
um, from my perspective. It was great to see her out there competing and, and really trying to chip away and find that form where she won the US Open uh, a few years ago. But um, yeah, some, some good players looking good in the early rounds um, and then some that have obviously dropped, which I'm sure we'll get to as well. But yeah, so far the, the three, the top three that we've called I guess all um, as prospective winners, Sabalenka, Sviontek, Rabakina, all all looking strong in their early rounds. I'm a bit surprised. I've got to say, I mean, the ones that we've spoken about, we thought could could win are going through easily, but the rest of the women's draw in the seeded department has kind of fallen apart. There's been some really interesting um, results in that. Um, I thought one other player that we add to that who made the final last year, Coco Goff. Um, she played an interesting first round match against uh, Mazarova, plays uh, Graba now, but she played an awful first set, forehand, really struggled, and then found a way to still win the match, you know, one and two for the next two sets. Um, she's still such a work in progress, and and the players you've mentioned are the ones for me that are still the dominant ones, and for Coco, there is um, some techni- technical work still to be done for her to go those next levels, but... Um, Rabakina just seems to be starting for me to ooze this confidence um, where when she won Wimbledon last year, it was um, she was almost too polite and, and it was almost like it was embarrassing that I could actually win Wimbledon the way she acted. And now I think there's this expectation that I actually belong here and I'm comfortable in my own skin and I'm liking what she's bringing to um, this first week of Roland Garros. I agree with you on the Coco Goff, Todd. Um, that forehand is something that, it's obviously very difficult when you're in the midst of the season to really break down a stroke like that, but that's definitely something that long-term I feel like she's going to have to break down every piece of that stroke and really and try and find a way to, to improve that forehand to get some consistency. Um, we know what an absolute talent she is, but that forehand is um, yeah, definitely something to t- target for any of her opponents. Casey hinted at some big seeds having scattered already over the first uh, few days of competition, none bigger than Daniel Medvedev, the number two men's seed, losing to a Brazilian qualifier and also throwing to the mix the 13th seed, Barbora Krachikova, a former champion here at Roland Garros. Yeah, look, I mean, Todd, I don't know. Are you surprised, Medvedev? I don't, I don't know. It's so hard. It's, I mean, he just come off winning Rome. I mean, for me, I'd certainly had him progressing further in the tournament, but then you, you think about the way that he thinks of himself as a clay quarter, and I'm like, am I surprised? Well, I was a bit surprised, but I'm also a bit not. The conditions that, that we touched on a moment ago, the wind mm. and the court that he had to play on yeah. made it really difficult for him. So um, by that I mean is that uh, Philippe Chatre is the f- biggest and flattest court in the world of tennis. Um, it is literally just like a billiard table, doesn't have a lot of drainage slope or anything like that. And so um, it was very windy, very swirly, and he's a flat ball hitter. And he doesn't miss a lot, but he got to the point where he was just shoveling the ball in to keep it in play with the wind, and it was giving Seaboth Wild the opportunity to take big strikes. Seaboth Wild is a player that, in my opinion, I've seen him over the last few years. He played Davis Cup in Australia against uh, for Brazil um, just before the pandemic started. And I thought, what is this kid doing? Where's he been hiding? He's got all of the weapons, which is what we saw. It's taken um, a bit to get there. He's got his off-court issues that he's having to deal with also. But for Medvedev, it shows you why clay court tennis is tough. If you're a flat ball striker and you can't get the ball through the court with penetration, you eventually get worn down through shape 
um, of spin, flight, and your patience wears out. And that was a little bit what ended up happening for Medvedev. Had this match been scheduled over on court Susan Longland, I think he wins because that court's got a completely different feel to it. It's got um, it's got more of a steep slope for drainage. Um, it's a different texture. Um, and I don't think that Seaboth Wild would have been able to get the big strikes that he got to hang in there in that match. So these are all factors that you have to think about um, when we talk about who's going to win and what the schedule is and where people play, whether it be day or night. And so for Medvedev, I was a bit surprised. But I think if it was a pure day, no breeze, I think he wins that one maybe in four, particularly after he got back into it when um, Seaboth Wild should have been up two sets of love and, and, and choked that little bit. So um, fascinating, the psychology and the moments in tennis. And, and that was one key. Put it on a hard court. And Medvedev's, you know, he wins that one easily. There you go. It's amazing the little variables that can change the course of a whole tournament just from uh, a location or the angle of a court. Mm -hmm. Quite fascinating. Uh, It wasn't a great day for the French contingent, though, after we saw some heroics from the likes of Gaël Monfils in the first round. Uh, the French lost him, Caroline Garcia, and also Luca Puy in the second round case. Yeah, well, I think for Lucas Puy, it was a great first round, but he obviously hasn't been playing at this level for for long. Or so to back up from his first round, um, and also I think he played Cam Norrie. Cam Norrie looked incredible. I think Cam Norrie's um, one of the best, you know, athletes going around. So Cam Norrie looked great. Um, Garcia, well, she was obviously the, the French's probably biggest hope. Um, she went down to Blinkova and, you know, I, I did read a few quotes from, um, Garcia's presser after her match and, and, you know, she talks to the fact that she felt uncomfortable in moments throughout that match and she couldn't find her way out of that to get momentum back in the match. And that's happened with Garcia. We've seen dips in her career anyway. And in this match particularly, I think she just struggled um, to find her feet and it's never nice, but she'll be very disappointed um, to to go down and and lose that one at her home slam. Mm. You know, Casey, I think it's interesting you you talk and watch the psychology of players. So it's very obvious with um, Garcia and and, and a lot of the French and tap into all of us playing here in Australia that um, you – we get ahead of ourselves as um, some athletes. I talk about we because I'm putting myself in that basket where you think that everybody has these expectations on you. And what the great players do, and this is what's so impressive for me about Alcaraz at the moment, is that he's just going about playing every day as if it doesn't matter and he isn't putting outside pressures on himself. Caroline Garcia looked like she brought uh, an A380 worth of luggage out onto the court um, with her ahead of that match. She had already spoken about that and it's so hard to win and and I watched a fair bit of that match in a second monitor yesterday on while we were doing the coverage and she was striking the ball well but in between points the tension she was carrying made it impossible to play free and she's she needs to play free to play her best tennis when there isn't a worry in the world and somehow she needs to um, be able to learn how to do that to be able to play at home and and do that you know maybe she should ring up um ash barty and say how did you deal with that because ash actually learned how to do it uh, the year that she won the Open and then retired. But it's it's something that I think you if you hold it in and you don't openly talk about the weakness that you're carrying with that, you're never going to um, get over it. And for me at the moment, I think she's trying to express it, 
but I don't think she's really let all of those um, demons, if you want to call them, get out so she can play the best tennis at home. And anybody um, that that is, um, you know, from Australia, Great Britain, uh, France or the US, they can appreciate that extra pressure that comes to, upon playing a major at home. Well, 23 years ago, Todd, the Aussie men had a great run in the men's singles. Yeah, I won a match. Yeah. Well, this year they almost went as good, the Aussie men. It's been uh, the best result in 23 years since uh, the likes of Jason Stoltenberg and, and Leighton Hewitt and Andrew Illy and Mark Philippoussis were getting around the courts of uh, Roland Garros. But a really good result led from the front by... Alex Demonor, but Thanasi Kokonakis being the first Aussie man through to the third round overnight. Yeah, well, I got to call Thanasi's match, and that was um, a really great effort. You know, he's, I think, improved. Um, you know, his ranking now, his live ranking, will have him well entrenched inside the top 100, which is terrific. That starts to get him back where I think he really should be. I think he deserves to be and should be. But to beat Vavrinka in the, the way he did, he was down a set and I think it was 4-2 and Vavrinka played a poor game to let him back in and he took advantage of that. And look, he had his moments where I think he should have won in four, played a terrible tiebreak uh, to go down five love in the fourth set and never recovered from that, but kept his head on his shoulders to come back, um, get up four love in the fifth. And then all of a sudden, as happens in in tennis, um, Vavrinka relaxed a bit. The crowd got right behind him and the match got quite tight. And he managed to finish that one off. And I think that is one of Thanasi's best ever wins. Um, Vavrinka's not playing the tennis he, he played when he was winning majors. He's, he's, he's a little bit, I think, slow across the baseline. He's you know maybe a full step slower than he used to be. So you can uh, attack him in those areas, which is what Thanasi did well. But uh, we spoke about Coco Goff just a moment ago and having to improve technique and forehand. The backhand on Kokonakis has improved. He's really worked on that shot. That was so evident yesterday. He's got the big serve and the forehand, but the backhand was solid and created uh, uh, the ability for him to to stay in points and set up the forehand. So for Thanasi, a, a really big win that I think sets up, no matter what happens from here, the ability to finish this year strong. The next six months are important. Um, at 27 years of age, this is his moment in time and this is the tournament that hopefully is going to allow him now to play consistent tennis for a consistent period of time where the body allows him to achieve his full potential. Yeah, absolutely, Todd. And the last sentence for me, I think, probably encapsulates Thanasi's career in, in regards to keeping his body healthy and that's key for Thanasi. So thrilled to see him through the third round. Um, to win a five-set match um, is incredible. But, um, yeah, I think he, I think there was just so many positive signs for Thanasi um, in the last couple of rounds. And, and we all really hope that he can keep it going, not only at Roland Garros, but for, for years to come. And let's hope he can keep that body uh, healthy. Yeah, and you know what else is important is he won that match with the crowd against him. So he's played a lot of big five-set matches in Australia where they're all been behind him. It's a completely different feeling. He had to block out the, the, the favourite, the former champion, the, the Swiss player that speaks French. The crowd wanted, wanted Vavrinka to come back and win. They didn't want Thanasi. And that's another part about um, getting experience that I don't think he's had much of before. He's great at using the crowd when he's in Australia, but he had to flip it this time. And I thought he handled that as well as he possibly could. And, and that they're big signs for me because that's the psychology and mentality that's required to, to be good week in, week out in all the tournaments that you travel to. 
Well, guys, your pre-tournament uh, title predictions are still alive and well, so we'll keep an eye on them throughout the second week, and we look forward to catching up with you. Uh, it'll be Matralope next week hosting the roundtable. I'm going to head over to Paris and catch the back end of the tournament. Oh, as you do. Oh, if you like, yeah, Don, as you do. bring us back a little bit of red clay, will you? Yeah, I'll, I'll bring some from the court that Daniil Medvedev went down on. <laughs> I've heard that's the flattest of the lot. <laughs> you, you always learn something intricate with me. Maybe, maybe that was because I was just that little bit psycho as well. All right, guys, have a wonderful week and I'll catch you over in Wimbledon. Good on you, John. Thanks all. Thanasi Kokonakis has never done it the easy way, battling injury and illness for much of his professional career. But those obstacles have equipped the 27-year-old with a steely resolve that's now been witnessed multiple times on the Grand Slam stage. In January, he and Andy Murray played the second longest match in Australian Open history, five hours and 45 minutes, falling just shy of a spot in the third round. This week in Paris, Kokonakis has gone one better, overcoming 2015 champion Stan Wawrinka in a titanic five-set tussle. Duncan mackenzie McCarg spoke to the Aussie following his win. Orthanasi, another Grand Slam match, another Kokonakis classic, four hours and 38 minutes. Yeah. Can you put that into words? It was quite extraordinary. Yeah, I've got to stop doing that. It's taken, it's taken its toll on me mentally and physically, but uh, crazy atmosphere, crazy match against another legend. Happy to come on the... Uh, on the winning side of that one, um, yeah, the crowd was going nuts for him and deservedly so. You know, he won this um, in 2015 so or 16. He's a hell of a player and, yeah, I'm just super happy and, and super uh, super proud to get that. Everything about the match was an absolute roller coaster. I mean, he started so well. He yeah. was serving lights out. I think he only won one point on his service games in the first yeah. set. But you hung in there. You got your chances in the fourth set breaker. Yeah. Then you regrouped so well in the fifth set. Yeah. Serving for the match, 5-3, 40 love, three match points. Were you thinking about the Andy Murray match? Were you thinking about the Hubert Hercatch match yeah. in Miami? What was going through your head? Because it was just an extraordinary atmosphere. At 40 love, I was kind of okay. I was like, look, I've done, I'm, I'm in a really good spot here. You know, just play a good solid point and, and just don't, don't do anything stupid. So I just tried to focus and he came up with a winner and then another good point and I made an error. Um, I felt like I didn't do that much wrong and then... He just made it really tough on me, honestly. Every big point, he uh, he came up with some big shots and, and made me really earn it. So I'd be lying if I said I wasn't thinking about those matches or those match points, but, you know, that's tennis, and I just tried to stay tough. And what were you thinking about when you were lying on the clay there at the end? Because it was just a wave of emotions yeah. that's been running through you. Um, a few swear words in a positive way. Um, yeah, I was just super stoked. A lot of relief. Just a lot of hard work has gone into wins like that, and when you don't come on the winning side of it, you know, people were quick to kind of, kind of sledge you a little bit for not winning matches like that. But um, yeah, to come on the the winning end of a, of a great match like that is 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 happy. I'm happy for me, happy for my family and my team that's around me and sees the work I do every day. And does it mean a little bit more considering what you've been through over the last five years? I know you said after the match you went missing for about five years yeah. and just the extraordinary amount of injuries that you've had and so forth. Yeah, definitely. You know, all those moments kind of you realise why you went through all that to kind of get to this point and have those those memories and those experiences and that's what you can take with you after your career's done and I know, I don't know how much longer I'm going to play, I'm going to be going to try my best if my body's permitting I'm going to go as long as I can but um, yeah, wins like that is what makes it worth it. That's all for this week's episode of the AO Show and week one of Roland Garros. I'll be handing over the reins to OzOpen.com's Matrilote for the next five episodes while I head over to Europe. Happy birthday to Justine Enner, Rafael Nadal and Bjorn Borg. And Rafa, hurry back, mate. We miss you. 
If you'd like to get in touch, you can contact us via ozopen.com slash listen or email the show at tennis.com.au. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And please consider leaving a rating and review so more fans can discover the AO Show.